0: Well, I don't know about you, but it's happened to me. Uh, we're traveling through the desert and headed somewhere and kids in the back seat. And you hear something like this. Fine. mine. You weren't playing with it anyway. Have you ever heard that? Now, this never happens at the heacock household. Heather is just a great actress, and she would, this, she would never actually do that. But you know, all of us who've been um, parents—you know—we've read books: Benjamin Spock, James Dobson, Kay Kuzma, Ellen White. What do you say under those circumstances when you hear that? Thanks, ladies. What do you tell them? What kind of things do you say? Whispering, whispering. Give it back. You shouldn't take something if you haven't asked for it. Got to be nice. Something like that. Give it back. You don't necessarily, I didn't see anybody take their hand off the pew and go like this, because that's sort of the reflex action. Oh, give it back. Give it to me. That didn't happen to him here. You know, if you think about it, God was leading people through the desert. About two million children in the back seat of that expedition. And he had the same problem. Here was a bunch of people who had been slaves all their lives. Who had had their labors taken away from them? Anything they possessed could be taken away. Whoever was in power got to take whatever it was that you had away from you. And in that setting, God had to do something to keep order. He had to give an emergency measure. And what did he say? He said, I'm God. I'm your father. Hey, listen, we're all going to Disneyland Please respect each other's property. Please don't steal. And so if you see the sequence that God has in the Bible, in the uh, Sixth Commandment, he says, protect each other's lives, respect lives. In the Seventh Commandment, he said, respect our relationships, our family relationships. And now in the Eighth Commandment, he says, respect each other's property as well. We've been in conversation for the last uh, many Sabbaths about the Ten Commandments. And uh, this all started the week most of us were at Pine Springs when Pastor Isaac uh, gave a sermon introducing it. And then step by step, we've been in the Ten Commandments ever since. And we've come now to a commandment that just seems a little out of place. You know, we're talking about lives. We're talking about attitudes and relationships and now we're merely talking about our possessions. Why does God intrude into this very lofty, ethical, uh, philosophical discussion? This thing, something as mundane as my car, my bank account, um, you know, the grand piano. Isn't that something that we should be above and beyond? And yet, you think, you consider that God may be trying to meet us where we are. And unless he is telling us, I respect your possessions, I want you to respect each other's possessions, we wouldn't have much opportunity to do much else. We'd be too worried about hanging on to what we had. So we think of those Israelites out there, just out of slavery, needing to be reminded, don't steal, don't take away things. All the cultures around them, stealing was the norm. Even today in many parts of the world, it's not unthinkable. It's not even particularly looked down upon if you make a sharp deal. That's good. You try and make the sharpest deal you can. And if you get a little extra, so much the better. And one of the things that I'm proudest of about being an American citizen and having the American system going on for the past 200 plus years is that relatively speaking, we are more concerned about things like honesty and doing what is right than a lot of other countries. Uh, If you look at just the number of people who cheat on their income taxes in the United States, it's less than most other people. And so we can be, as Americans, pretty proud of that part of our heritage. But on the other hand, in 1987, an amazing thing happened in the US. Seven million children disappeared. Seven million. Do you know how that happened? 1987 was the first year the IRS required you to put down the Social Security number of the dependents you are claiming and not just their names. And that year, 7 million dependents disappeared from the United States. So even in America, we are prone to just a little bit of cheating, stealing. In his book, uh, Freakonomics, uh, economist Stephen Levitt tells another story about this uh, same process. There's a man in Washington, D.C. who was an economist and worked for the government and he started bringing in bagels uh, for his employees. And it got to be a tradition that every Friday he'd bring in bagels and cream cheese, leave them on the table. And it got to be a little expensive, so he asked his employees, would you please chip in a buck for the bagel and cream cheese and then you, you can take it. He enjoyed doing this a lot and decided that one day about 1961 to quit the government and actually start his own bagel um, distribution uh, chain. And he, and, he, and he followed the same thing. And as an economist, he kept very accurate records. He was interested in which uh, office gave him the best um, amount of uh, business and who were the, where did most of the bagels go. And so he kept detailed records right from the beginning. And he found out some interesting things. He found out, for example, that the rate of stealing on average was 13%. 87% of people would pay for their bagels across the country, or across the city of Washington, and uh, 13% of people would take it. On a stressful holiday like Thanksgiving and um, Christmas, the rate of stealing would go up by about 2%. And on the other hand, on a non-stressful holiday where it's just a day off, like Memorial Day, it would go down 2%. He found out that there was a company that he gave the bagels to where the management was on the top floor, the middle management was on the, second, the middle floor, and on the bottom floor were the clerical workers. And he put bagels on each floor. He found out that the clerical workers were just a little bit more honest than average, and the people in management were the least honest. <laughs> His interpretation of this was that that maybe they felt more entitled to things. Uh, The other interpretation given by the economist who wrote the book, Stephen Levin, was maybe they got to be management by being a little dishonest. And that's a possibility, too. Um, When 9-11 happened, he found that the honesty rate went up. More people were honest after 9-11. They felt that we're all in this together, I guess. Anyway, so even in the United States, we have some of us who tend to just take a little bit more than, we take that bagel and cream cheese without paying for it. We do this at work in other ways, Um, signing on to watch our eBay bid when, we uh, are at work, perhaps, or maybe not giving our real full effort at work, kind of just um, being a little lackadaisical, maybe not playing the employees quite as much as they're really worth to try and get a little extra profit. And uh, Pastor Chris, when, when she was uh, giving me advice on this, wanted me to mention another kind of, of uh, stealing and cheating, that's stealing somebody else's intellectual property. And so you can go to a site and on the internet and you can type in to google 10 commandments term paper i'm going to write a paper about the 10 commandments and out will come this site um, where you can find out that if you want a paper on the 10 commandments you can get first rate papers for $34.99 payable through paypal and they'll send it to you whether you're in high school college or graduate school whichever you want And if you really are very interested in doing your Ph.D. dissertation on this, you take the custom research option, number three there. For a price, a Ph.D. will write your dissertation for you. Um, What would we think about that as far as stealing? You'll be happy to know, though. Don't go out and try this. Teachers also have a site called turnitin.com where they can check your work against the known work of others and, and detect. Plagiarism. So this is still a problem for us. And God says, I'm the God who's bringing you up out of bondage. Don't steal. But is that the only thing you want to tell the kids in the back seat? Is there any other lesson you want to give the kids in the back seat besides just give it back? Don't take it without asking permission. What else would you say to the kids in the back seat? Share. Somebody said it over here. Why don't you share? We're going to Disneyland. Let's share the toy and be happy together. And God has that same thing that he wants us to do. Both God and us seem to sense that we'd be happier. We'd be nicer people, more likable people, if we're generous and not miserly, greedy, and tight-fisted. If you think about through Western culture over the past 2,000 years, how many characters are there? or people in history who you have really liked because they were miserly. Can you think of any likable misers in the world's history? I mean there's always Scrooge, but you don't like Scrooge until after he's reformed. When he's when he's being Scrooge, he's dislikable. And I can only think of one person and somebody else might think of another, but the person that only one I could think of is this gentleman. Anybody recognize him? Some people do. (laughs) Jack Benny. Jack Benny had a radio show on for those people less than 55, probably. And he was famous for portraying a miser. He was very tight-fisted. And um, he had a great joke. And the joke was that he's walking down the street and somebody comes up to him and says, Your money or your life? And there's a pause. And the man says, Come on, what's it going to be? Your money or your life? And what does Jack say? I'm thinking! <laughs> Jack's probably the only person that we liked because he was such a tight bod. And I know that if I don't say this, somebody's going to come up after the service and say, but you know, in real life, Jack Benny was very generous. And he was. He contributed to a lot of different things in his real life. But he was tight-fisted as a character. So in order to avoid being miserly and greedy... And unlikable, basically, God says to us, you should be generous. Even way back in the Old Testament, in Psalm Psalm 37, 21, God says, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. You're just a happier group of people to be with if you're generous and liberal. This gives people priority over possessions. It gives... It makes you notice others' needs, not your own self. Rather than worrying about what other people can do for you, you're looking to see what you can do for them. I am the God who brings you out of bondage. Don't steal. Live generously. But God keeps extending this further and further, one more step. He's not only worried about us being generous, he's worried about the attitude. Have you ever been in a situation where people might not have given out of the best motives or out of the nicest motives? You can't talk about generosity this week without bringing up, uh, a person in the news. Um, Warren Buffett. I must have done something wrong, Jonathan. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Warren Buffett, Belinda and Bill Gates. Warren Buffett, as you may know, is the second richest person and actually probably the third since Bill and Melinda Gates theoretically split the $90 billion. Warren only has 37 some odd billion. dollars. And this week, Warren Buffett gave the largest charitable con- contribution in the history of the world, uh, over $30 billion worth of stock in Berkshire Hathaway, most of which went to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. This is something that um, Warren Buffett is totally in character with him. You can see that he's smiling, the Gases are smiling. This is not something that he's doing as a publicity stunt. He has said for a long time that giving large bequests to your offspring is not good. He views it as being un-American. He compares when he was arguing uh, in favor of retaining the inheritance tax. He said doing away with the inheritance tax is like choosing the 2020 US Olympic team from the kids of the 2000 Olympic team. If you wouldn't do that, there's no reason to uh, disregard the inheritance tax. And so to this week, when he did what he's been preaching all along and gave away most of his wealth instead of leaving it for his kids, he was merely following one of his very deeply held beliefs. And he looks very happy in doing it, doesn't he? You don't have to worry too much about Warren Buffett's three children. They each are going to stand to inherit one to two billion dollars each, the interest of which, even if it was in a bank account, probably runs to about a hundred million dollars a year. So they are well taken care of, but they don't get the entire 40 billion. So Jesus says, Attitude is important when you give. When you give for a Give money to a person. Is your focus really on the person or on yourself and on the gift? He says in Matthew 6, So when you give to the needy, do not announce this before everybody. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by men. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing. Where's your focus going to be on this? Not on myself, not on the gift, but on the person in need. Isn't there a way that all of us have been the benefactors of a gift that have made us feel crummy? Here you are. I'm giving you this gift. Aren't I a wonderful person? You should thank me for it. Um, That's not the attitude God's looking for here. He says, focus on the other person and not the gift. I was always very taken by that text. Don't let your right hand know what your left is doing when I was a teenager. And when I was about 18 years old, I was privileged to have a whole series of friends, actually, um, who I went to academy with in, in Tacoma Park. Um, I had a friend named Ron Carreno. We called him Ron Carino, but I'm sure his name should have been Carreno or, or a better pronunciation. Had a friend named Ivan Maida, We called him Ivan Maeda. There's no telling what they called me, and um, and uh, Mark Hansen. and the friend. The story is about is a guy named Don Wood, who is African American. Don was a solidly raised and a solid uh, middle class family. His father was a principal of the school. His mother was a school teacher. Uh, his father had just died, and his mom became Adventist. And Don was the youngest kid at home, and uh, she didn't have work because of health problems, and their status in life was plummeting. Um, No money, not enough money. Don was going to Tacoma Academy at the time, so that takes a bit of money. I'm sure they were giving him some help. Uh, But he needed something, and I forget now what it was he needed, but he needed something, and I thought, you know, it would be great if I slipped on some money. I don't want this to ruin our friendship. I don't want him changing the way he looks at me for the future, so I think I'll give it to him secretly. And this started to be really fun. Got the money, $300. Made sure that they were in $20 bills, no markings on them. Put them in an envelope. Typed up something. Wouldn't want to handwrite it. I have very distinctive bad handwriting. Don would know in an instant if I handwrote anything. Typed on there. I said, I want to type on that text about the right hand not knowing what the left is doing. When you give to the needy, don't announce it. So I I typed on my typewriter. still had typewriters back then, Matthew 4, 6. And then I put it in the envelope and put a name typed on it, Don Wood. Left it on his doorstep one night. Drove away feeling, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Can't wait to see what Don, how Don's reaction is going to be. Next Sabbath, we're sitting in the balcony at Sligo Church. And uh, we're sitting there, and Don is sitting next to me, and he says, Dan, a funny thing happened to me. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. I got $300. Somebody left $300 on my doorstep. Really? Oh, that's very nice. I'm glad to hear that. He says, but it's really bothering me. Bothering you? Why? He said, here, look at the text that they wrote. They wrote Matthew 4, 6 on it. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give... He says, do you think they want me to commit suicide? It's like a Satanist trying to get me to commit suicide. And I'm a Christian. Never told him about that. <laughs> Never told him. Funny things happen when you try and do good deeds. But the point is that you really aren't doing a giving a gift. You're not really being generous to see what it does for you. But what the other does it meet other people's needs? And so God says to us, you know. I'm the God who brought you out of bondage. Don't steal. Instead of stealing and worrying about this, be generous. And be generous with a humble attitude. Be humble about it. Focus on the person and not yourself. And you know, he doesn't even stop there. You know that in Matthew 5, Jesus amplifies or extends each of the previous two commandments. And he says this in Matthew 6 about giving the alms. But then, in between, he says something that's really challenging. He says, God the Father causes his son to rise on the good and on the evil. And he sends rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Drug dealers are doing that. The mafia does that. They take care of their own. And when you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the irreligious people greet those people who they own, who, who are of their own. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a godlike quality to be generous, not just to your friends, not just to the people who are doing nice things for you, but to be generous and gracious to people who are your enemies. Well, we could say, that's easy for God to do that. He owns everything. Why couldn't he be generous to everybody, including his enemies? Much tougher for me. And isn't that the point? Who was it that owned everything? God. See, God starts with us just like kids in the back seat. The most basic thing is don't steal, but don't steal is only the starting point for the kind of character he wants us to develop. He wants us to be like him, to be generous, to be gracious while we're being generous and humble. And to even be humbly, graciously generous to people who are currently our enemies, because that's what he is like. Have we ever seen any demonstrations of this? Do we know, can you think of a time when God demonstrated his generosity, given in a humble manner to his enemies? I'd like to suggest he's inviting us all to remember that gift today. And as we, as Pastor Isaac comes up and we um, partake of these emblems that uh, commemorate Jesus' death on the cross for us, that we think a little bit about the kind of God who we worship and that he is a gracious God. He's graciousness personified. He's a generous God who wants us to have all the blessings that he bestows. And most of all, he's a humble God who washed the disciples' feet. Here to serve us, those who need it, as we sit down at his table at his invitation.
1: In John 19:30, as Jesus hung on the cross, it, it reads, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's something that God generously allowed to happen. He so willingly gave to us. And He asks us to remember now as we partake of the bread and the grape juice that represents the sacrifice, the body and the blood. And so this morning, we want to give you a chance to just reflect as we pass out the emblems to you. We'll pray over them. And as we distribute the emblems, will you pause and remember the goodness that we live in and experience? Let us pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as a community to pause and reflect and to remember upon your son, your gift that Jesus so generously has shared with us. And this morning as we partake of this bread that represents the body, We ask that you will allow us to be your body in this community, that we may partake of this and reflect you to be your hands and your feet to those around us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity to sense these symbols here. These symbols that you gave us to represent your life. And the blood that you shed for us. Father, your presence in this world is not in the symbols, but in the church that partakes of the symbols. Help us to be your church, your body that's broken and given to the world. Help us to be your lifeblood flowing through us to the world so that as we go out, We can minister to them, even as you want to minister to the world now. Thank you for these symbols, and thank you for what they represent. Amen. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our generous God. You know, we sometimes forget that the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote those words that we just read, that we read every Communion Sabbath, um, you remember that the Communion portion of the meal at the early church was really only part of it, and that they were really eating together, and the problem was that people were greedy, and they would hoard the, the uh, loaf or the uh, vigilance all to themselves and not share We don't have to worry about that. We have a fellowship dinner now and there's going to be plenty of food for all generously provided by many of the men and women at this church. So we want to extend a special invitation for you to go right after this to the fellowship hall where very loyal people have been busily transforming it from the foot washing to the uh, fellowship dinner configuration. So let's go and uh, attend that if we can. Shall we stand for the benediction? Father, we thank you for being generous with us, for being generous with each of our lives. Help us to sense the boundless riches which you're bestowing upon us and in turn to be more like you in being liberal and generous to others. Help us to be your arms, your legs, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, to the world around us. And bless us this week as we share the part of being your body in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.